Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 9. Today we will be looking at Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 through 29. Uh, We're going to shorten up our passage a little bit over what we've done in the past. Um, I do want to to let you know, though, as as we do consider this passage, um, we had numerous children's Bibles in our homes throughout the time that the boys were growing up. One of them was not the Precious Moments Bible, but... Uh, after the boys graduated from children's Bibles to us actually reading the Bible in our devotions, we were reading through Judges one day, and and uh, we read through one of the particularly either violent or, well, violent chapters, accounts in the book of Judges, and Gregory piped up and said, um, that chapter is not going to show up in the Precious Moments Bible. Today's story is not going to show up in the Precious Moments Bible either. I do want to warn you, I will not be lurid, I will not be scandalous, but we are dealing with adult themes in today's scripture. And so some of you may have questions to ask when you get home or to answer when you get home. But I do want to warn you ahead of time there, this chapter, this account probably did not make it into the Precious Moments Bible either. So here the word of the Lord beginning in Genesis chapter 9 verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem, Ham, and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves he will be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be slave to Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, as we look at your account of redemption in this world, remind us of where we fit in that account Remind us of how much we add to our salvation and remind us of what we need from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever taken on a project or, yeah, project, that's probably the best word for it. Have you ever taken on a project and gotten part of the way into it and realized you just didn't have the right tool? I remember one time the the car that Gregory drives now, the, uh, excuse me, the water pump went bad on it and GM designed their water pump in such a way that it's hidden back behind a spindle. And the nice thing about the way GM has designed it is you can do everything except take that spindle off the water pump with average everyday tools. So the water pump went bad. I have a little bit of mechanical knowledge, so I set about the job of replacing the water pump in that car. And I got everything off and I got to that spindle and found out I just could not complete the job because I didn't have the right tool. Now, I'm not as smart as I think I am, but I think I'm smart, and so I kind of worked my way around the fact that I didn't have the tool 
and completed the job without the tool and probably warped the spindle a little bit and so that's why we go through belts quicker on that car than we should. But when it comes to God's plan of redemption, we're going to see in today's passage that humanity is lacking the tools to make that happen and that God can be trusted and that God does intervene in the salvation of humanity. Today, we're just going to kind of walk through the story. We're going to look at the story and see how it unfolds. And uh, then we'll kind of bring it home in a couple of applications at the very end of the story. Remember where we are in the story. Noah has landed. He has uh, left the ark and he has given this, this sacrifice to God. God has been pleased with the sacrifice and he has promised, despite the fact that every thought Uh, of humanity is only evil all the time he has promised to preserve humanity for a time he's shown his patience he's shown his faithfulness in preserving humanity even until today even though we are only our thoughts are only evil all the time and so it is after that that we pick this up Noah is a a man of the soil very much like Adam was and and he plants a vineyard The, the language is here is such that this he may be the first one to have ever cultivated grapes to a point where he makes wine out of them and so after making wine unfortunately Noah gets drunk now wine in itself is not bad Psalm 104 verses 14 and 15 says he and he and here is God he says God makes grass grow for cattle and plants for men to cultivate bringing forth food from the earth and then he gives a list of the foods Wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains the heart. God has given us wine to gladden our hearts, but just like everything else in creation that was created good and that God has given to us for good, we can abuse the good things that God has given us. So Noah went beyond the gladdening of the heart with wine and he became drunk. That's the first part where Noah fails Um, in the righteousness that he has been described of having. And then not only does Noah get drunk, but it says in here that um, Noah lay uncovered. And if we were to um, translate that literally, it would literally say that Noah exposed himself. This isn't just somebody falling asleep without their clothes on. Noah exposed himself and then fell asleep. And as bad as that is, his son Ham sees his father's nakedness. Now, the the word see here is a little bit misleading. When I see something that's wrong, oftentimes we think about, I just happen to be driving down and walking down the road or driving down the road and I just come across something. And that's oftentimes what we think about here when we see Ham's sin. And, and here we get to the difficult parts of this is that it's not just that he saw that his father was naked. The word literally means that he looked at searchingly. And so there's this picture here, and I'm sorry, of him looking at his father in the means of obtaining sexual gratification. And that is the sin of him. People have argued over what it is. Did he sleep with his mother? That's one way to translate it. Did he molest his father? That's another translated, but... We don't even have to go that far to see Ham's sin in this. It's the idea of looking at somebody for our own personal pleasure and perverted gratification. I don't know if you've listened to the news this week, but Hugh Hefner passed away at the age of 91. 
Hugh Hefner is lauded as a cultural icon. But what did Hugh Hefner do? He made it acceptable to look at people searchingly for the own gratification of our own personal pleasure. He made that acceptable. He took that sin, something that was hidden in the dark. He wasn't the first person to be a pornographer. He wasn't the first person to take pictures of naked women. But he made it acceptable to look at them. And the sin here is in the objectification of another human being for personal gratification denies the fact that they are a human being. John Bloom, who writes for Desiring God, says that what we do when we look at somebody for our own personal gratification is we exchange their soul for a role, a role in our own personal fantasies. We deny the fact that they are a human and we look at them as merely tools for our own pleasure. At best, Jesus says in Matthew 5, we commit adultery. At worst, in denying that they are an image of God created with dignity, we are murdering their souls. That's what, that's what Ham does to his father. That is the sin that Ham does, and, and it's made even worse in that it is a same-sex attraction, a same-sex sin. Shem and, Hapheth come, Shem and Japheth come along, it's easy for me to say. They've been told by Ham that what, is, what he has done, they're appalled by this, and they cover their father's nakedness. The shame that comes with nakedness is covered by another. And once again, we see echoes of Adam and God in the fact that the shame of nakedness is covered. Noah curses Canaan. Noah doesn't curse Ham, and there's been argument over the years as to why not. Why didn't Noah curse Ham directly and the best answer that I could come up with in studying this was that Ham was covered by the sacrifice of Noah and the righteousness of Noah as being his son. But also we look at this as the original audience of this would have been the Israelites. And where were they heading at the time that this was written? The time that Moses gave this to them. They were heading to Canaan. They were heading to the land of Palestine. They were heading to the promised land. And the descendants of Ham, the descendants of Canaan were living in this, in the land of Canaan. And this is given to them for explanation. We have the words of God that the sins of the father are visited upon the son. And oftentimes we look at that and we say, God, why would you punish my children for my sins? Well, God doesn't punish my children for my sins. He punishes them for their own sins. But the problem is, is oftentimes the sins of the son are an elevation or an escalation of the sins of the father. Noah exposes himself. Ham leers and ogles at his father. Several hundred years later, as the descendants of Canaan are in the promised land, they are worshiping God through horrendous sexual acts. Not God, but gods, excuse me. The gods, the fertility gods of Palestine, the fertility gods of the Canaanites are worshiped in horrendous acts. And so the sins of the father are magnified in the son and then are magnified in the grandson and the great grandson and so on and so forth. Now, thanks be to God, we worship a God who forgives to thousands of generations to those who love him. But the, so the cycle can be stopped. Before the Israelite, there was this understanding that their line, the line of the Canaanites, 
was a line that was broken by sin and cursed by God and by Noah because of that sin that has been multiplied throughout them. And so after Noah curses Cain and God, Noah blesses Shem and Japheth. God chooses a line through Noah here, the line of Shem. Have you ever heard the term anti-Semitic or anti-Semite? It comes from this right here. It's the line of Shem. It should literally be an anti-Shemite or an anti-Shemitic, but it doesn't sound quite right to our English minds. God chooses the line of Shem to be the line that brings about the blessing for his people. We see this in the fact that Noah says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. There appears to already be a covenant relationship between God and Shem. And Canaan is called to be the slave of Shem, which is fulfilled in the conquest. And then Japheth is blessed to live and to dwell with Shem. And that is fulfilled in the New Testament through the gospel. We see it in the interaction between the Ethiopian eunuch and uh, the disciples in Samaria. And so we have this, we have the man who is declared righteous and who has found favor in God's sight, we see that he's not righteous enough, nor are his children righteous enough to bring about redemption, to bring about the salvation, to bring about the crushing of the seed of the serpent that is promised in Genesis chapter 3 and in the words that are begun at the end of chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 32, 31. Nope, that's not the one I wanted. I wrote it down wrong. That's awesome. When Lamech lived 182 years, he had a son. Back to verse 28. Sorry. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground. The Lord is cursed. And Noah was born. Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived 77 years and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then to the last verse of chapter 9. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years. And then he died. So the pattern begun at the end of the boring bits of of Genesis chapter 5. The pattern of Noah not coming to death is completed here because he died. And the picture that we have here is that the redemption that God promises through the seed of the woman, we have wiped out the physical seed of the serpent. And so the seed of the woman is established on the earth. And redemption is here, right? The seed has been crushed and the world has been put back to rights. Except it hasn't. Because the seed of the woman is not something or the seed of the serpent is not merely a physical seed. Unfortunately, it's something that resides within each one of us. And the work of redemption promised in Genesis chapter 3 is still incomplete. I want to read for you from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Oftentimes a very, very familiar passage, but I want us to listen as we read. And this is Jesus speaking to a group of people on the mountainside. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. 
Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has given a list of things for which we will be blessed, ways to live that will bring blessing upon the people of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he gives them what and he defines for them what those blessings are. And then Jesus says, you have this document called the law. Now, that was probably shorthand for the entirety of the Old Testament. But at minimum, it was the first five books of the Bible, the law. The rules that God had given for living as the people of God. The rules that God had given that needed to be kept in order to receive the blessings of God. And he says, I am not going to do away with those laws. I'm going to fulfill them. Now, how did Jesus fulfill the law? The ceremonial law he fulfilled by doing everything that they pointed to. Sacrifices need to be done for sin. Hebrews tells us that Jesus once for all gave the final sacrifice. No more sacrificial system because he has fulfilled it. But the moral law, how did Jesus fulfill the moral law? He kept it. And that's how he became the perfect sacrifice. He kept that law perfectly. And he says, I'm not here to abolish the law. The ceremonial law is fulfilled, so we no longer live by the ceremonial law. But what about the moral law? We know from the rest of the scriptures, we're still called to follow the moral law. We're still called to pursue those rules that bring God's blessing upon us. But we know that we can't. How do we know that we can't? Did did God say to Noah, I am bringing judgment upon the world because every action of every man is only evil all the time? No, he said every thought of every man is only evil all the time. And so Jesus expands upon that in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, he says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. Has anybody in here ever murdered anybody? No, hallelujah. I don't have to call the cops this morning because nobody raised their hand. But Jesus says, have you ever called somebody a name? Have you ever been angry with them and called them idiot or fool or jerk? You're just as liable of judgment as the man who actually took a life. Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand. You never cheated on your spouse? Hallelujah. Have you ever looked at somebody and lusted after them? Have you ever looked at them searchingly, denying their soul and forcing them into a role in your own fantasy? Jesus says, well, then you're just as guilty as if you had committed adultery Ever made a promise that you didn't keep? Great, you've made promises, you've kept every one. But Jesus says, have you told somebody I'm going to show up at 10 o'clock on Saturday after or Saturday morning and you forgot to show up at 10 o'clock on Saturday? You didn't promise, so it's okay. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person of integrity and show up on time when you tell somebody you're going to show up on time. And then Jesus Jesus grabs us one last time if we think we've gotten through those things and we can convince ourselves that we've gotten through those things he says do you love your neighbor awesome even the pagans do that love your enemy 
Remember that they are the image of God as well. And they deserve your love. Why? Because the sun shines on the wicked as well as the righteous. The rain falls upon the wicked as well as the righteous. Jesus says God's gracious to them. God loves them. Why don't you? God loves his enemies. Why don't you? And what Jesus does is he continues to go with this and deal with things such as anxiety and worry and judging, condemning people to the fires of hell without having the knowledge that God has of their heart. Jesus is stripping away our external religion. And he is reminding us that there is absolutely nothing we add to our salvation. I prayed in my opening prayer, God, remind us of what we bring to the table for our salvation. You know what we bring to the table for our salvation? Absolutely nothing. Because inside, the, every thought is only evil all the time. And so when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to humanity's ability to bring out the promised redemption of God, everything we do fails miserably every time. Because we can do nothing to save ourselves individually or collectively. And into this situation, Jesus says, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets. Everything God wanted done for the serpent's head to be crushed, I've done. Every rule that God wanted followed for his people to be blessed, I have followed. Everywhere my kings, everywhere my prophets, everywhere my people have failed, I have succeeded. And I have crushed Satan's head in doing that. But he crushed my heel as well. Jesus took the fatal wound of the cross to fulfill the sacrificial system so that we no longer have to sacrifice animals to have our sins covered. Our sins are now covered by the blood of our Lord and Jesus Christ. And what do we have to do to receive that? Noah is described as a man of righteousness who found favor in the Lord because he believed God. God said, do this because I'm going to do this. And what did Noah do? He did it. He believed that God would judge and he believed that God would save. And repeatedly throughout the book of Acts, throughout the letters of Paul, we are told, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Because of anything we've done? No. But because of everything he has done. Something far worse than our water pump is broken. We are sinners in the sights of God. We are rebels against the king and creator of the universe. We are traitors against him. And we deserve death for our sin. And yet God in his grace gives us life. Noah, Ham, Japheth, Shem, any of their children that come along after them, including us, are powerless to complete the mission of crushing the head of the serpent. But God has sent one to stand in our place who did it for us and who took our punishment upon upon himself in the crushing of his heel so that we might have life and so that we might have the blessing of the fulfillment of the law. 
Believe, and thou shalt be saved. Let us pray. Our gracious and holy God, thank you that even though we can add absolutely nothing to our salvation, you have done it for us. Lord, when our thoughts are evil and wicked and those thoughts lead to evil evil and wicked actions, we ask that you show them to us so that we might repent of them, so that we might feel the grace of knowing your forgiveness and knowing that the law has been fulfilled on our behalf. And Lord, if there's anybody in here today who does not believe, who has not embraced that truth, that they can add nothing to their salvation, I ask that you work in their heart and draw them to you. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.